So once again, I apologize. Technical issues again. Internet went off briefly there. Infrastructural issues in our dear country, Nigeria. So I'd like to thank um, Dr. Mrs. Isioma Okoba, who has also been with us um, since inception. We thank her. She's also um, one of the speakers for today. She's the MD of um, First American Delta Hospital based in Asaba. The screen should come up shortly. I think it's all part of the internet um, connectivity issue we are having. So we'd like to appreciate her. Uh, we would also like to appreciate Dr. Mrs. Modukwe Adedeji, who is also a consultant at Luth and also the MD of um, Ladash Hospital. Um, we would like to thank um, Mrs. Ijoma Onyato, who has been also been with us from inception, being very supportive. She's um, the anchor um, for today. She's also um, the anchor um, broadcaster for Channels TV uh, television news at 10. Would also like to thank um, think Fab Moms NG. They are also on Instagram. Fab Mom NG, we thank you very, very much. I hope I haven't missed any name. Um, I think I have, but we'll also come back at the end to say thank you to you all. So I'll go straight ahead. Uh, we are behind schedule a bit. I would like to introduce our moderator for today. Our moderator is uh, Mrs. Ijoma Onyato. Mrs. Ijoma Onyato was born in East Africa, Nairobi, Kenya. Ijoma holds a Master of Arts with distinction in media, communication, and technology from Brunel University in the UK. She's also a graduate of the University of Lagos with a BSc degree in mass communication. Ijoma is a member of the Association, communication, Association of Communication Scholars and Professionals of Nigeria, the International Association for Media and Communication Research as well as an associate member of the Advertising Practitioners Council of Nigeria. She is a recipient of the prestigious British Chevron Scholarship Award, the notable Golden Broadcaster Image World of Fame Award, and a nominee of the Nigerian Media Merit Awards. Ijoma is listed on the esteemed most influential 100 creatives of African descent an initiative that identifies high achievers of African descent in public and private sectors from around the world, inspired by a, res a resolution of the United Nations General Assembly. She's also recognized by the Media Room Hub as a superwoman who has contributed greatly to redefining news and broadcasting in Nigeria. She trained as a media officer in Shell, and she cut her teeth as a media relations officer in Heritage Oil and Gas before joining Channels Television in 2004. So you can see she's been there for 16 years as an anchor, presenter, and reporter. She's a veteran broadcast journalist and currently anchors Channels Television flagship bulletin, The News at 10, as well as several live news and current affairs program. She's also an adjunct member of the faculty at School of Media Communication, Pan-Atlantic University, where she teaches young undergraduates the value of ethical newsroom leadership and professional media, media practice. She's an invaluable member of the SMC Professional Media Education Program team. 
She's happily married and blessed with children. Please welcome Mrs. Ijoma Onyato. I hereby hand over um, to Ijoma Onyato. She's going to moderate the session for today. Thank you very much. Okay. Is it Jama there? Uh, Ijoma, are you there? Can you hear me? No, she's not here. Okay, we might not have, I thought I saw her just now, maybe. Okay, so we'll wait for her to log back in. I know she logged in earlier. Um, without wasting much of our time, we'll go straight on to our first speaker for today. Our first speaker for today um, is Dr. Mrs. Isioma Okoba. I'll just give a brief um, about her. So Dr. Mrs. Isioma Okoba is a board certified and licensed family physician in the United States of America. Dr. Isioma Okoba is a graduate of the College of Medicine, University of Benin, and holds a master's degree in public health from the prestigious Rollins School of Public Health, Emory University, Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Okoba did her specialty training in Department of Family and Preventive Medicine, Emory University, Atlanta, Georgia. She has been practicing family medicine in Lithonia, Georgia, and a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians, an award regarded as, I beg your pardon, she has been practicing as family medicine she has been practicing family medicine in Lithonia, Georgia, and a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians, an award re regarded as the highest honor ever bestowed on practicing physicians in the United States of America who have excelled in the advancement of healthcare to Americans and by their professional development through medical education and research. She is the proprietor, MD, and CEO of the first Lithonia Medical Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and also the proprietor, MD, of first Delta American Hospital, Asaba, in Delta State. Dr. Isioma Okoba is the founder of Isioma Okoba Foundation and is currently an executive assistant on primary health care to Delta State Governor and also the chairman of the governing board of the State Primary Healthcare Development Agency. She is currently serving as the coordinator, Delta Not Isolation and Treatment Center for COVID-19. Dr. Isioma Okoba is happily married with three lovely children. I'll have to say they are all grown-ups. <laughs> Please welcome Dr. Isioma Okoba. Our second speaker, I'll just quickly, please bear with me. Um, before we start the talk, let me just do the introduction. So when they start talking, the, the whole uh, webinar goes in a smooth flow. So we'll go on um, straight to our second speaker. Our second speaker is Dr. Mrs. Modupe Adedeji. Dr. Modupe Adedeji is a consultant obstetrician and gynecologist 
She's a graduate of Olabisi Onabanjo University with over 15 years experience in medical practice in both the public and private sector. Dr. Adejeje is skilled in clinical research, medical education, and obstetrics and gynecological um, procedures. Rising through the ranks, she became a senior registrar in May 2011, and by December 2014, Modupe became a chief resident at the Lagos State University Teaching Hospital, Ikeja. And in October, she was made the head consultant in charge of gynecology unit at General Hospital Aurelia Gege. She assumed the same role at General Hospital Ifako, Ijaye, in 2018, where she supervised and held teaching sessions for both medical officers in the management of obstetrics and gynecological patients. Today, Dr. Mutuke is a medical director, consultant, obstetrician, and gynecologist at J.A. Lashman Hospital, a comfortable and serene environment that focuses on the care of women's reproductive health from childhood to old age. The facility specializes in conditions such as infertility, hair, um, fibroid, miscarriage, ETC. She is the consultant in charge of Obstetrics and Gynecology Unit at Lagos State University Teaching Hospital, Ikeja, where she supervises and trains resident doctors and house officers in obstetrics and gynecology. She's married to Barista Adewale Oluwa Muiwa Adedeji with two lovely children. Thank you so much for your patience. <laughs> I know it's been uh, a bit of a mouthful, but um, going straight on, we'll head on to Dr. Mrs. Okoba to please uh, take on um, the talk for today. She'll be talking on family health. So any issues regarding family health, please note your questions and you can start posting them now. Thank you very much. Dr. Okoba. Um. Thank you so much, uh, Mrs. Onyevigwa. Thank you so much. I'm so elated to be here. First, I want to say um, when uh, Mrs. Onyevigwa contacted me and said um, if I could give a talk on um, the role of women in family health, and um, I was like, wow, that's really broad, but can I handle this? And I said, yeah, this is the life that you leave yourself. So, I mean, it should be something I'll be able to talk about. And um, so I want this to be really very interactive. And um, first, in talking about family health, we need to understand what, what is health? What do we mean when we talk about health? And so I'm just going to refresh in our memory with what the WHO defines um, as health. And the World Health Organization defines health as a state of physical, mental, and social well-being in which disease and infirmity are absent. And so I just want us to hold that thought so we all understand what health is all about. And then we also know that we have main determinants of health. And this would also include the social, the economic, and also the environmental determinants of health. And so now understanding what health is all about, we want to ask, then what is family health? Then family health is now the state in which the family is a resource for the day-to-day -day living and health of its members. So 
what that means is that every individual in a family will have the key resources to healthy living. And so, and this healthy living would include the food, the clothing, shelter, and access to medical care. Then understanding what health is and what family health is and what the determinants of health are, then we now look at the role of women in family health. So I know I looked at the participants and I see that over 90% of the participants are women. So we all understand that we as women are the promoters and the coordinators of health in our various families. And if we look at it, we know that the woman is the one who actually makes sure that the family eats. That's the food we talked about earlier. And then in looking at the food, we also look at the nutrition because we know that the food will also determine the healthy living. And so the woman actually procures the food, makes sure that she has healthy food for her members in the family to feed with. For us in Nigeria, we look at a lot about the preventable diseases. We also look at the malnutrition that hampers on our children. And then when we look at malnutrition, how do we prevent our children from becoming malnourished? All that burden lies with the woman. She makes sure that the children eat healthy food and she also makes sure that the husband and all the members of the family, which we can define as husband, um, wife, children, and then we can have extended families such as mother, mother-in-law, father-in-law, everybody is well taken care of. So the nutrition, which is an essential part of the family health, it's always being taken care of more than 90% 90 of the times by the woman. So the woman's role in family health plays a major role. Um, and then you now look at the preventable diseases that we talked about earlier. We I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, okay, sorry. And so we, at this age, we have to make sure that our children get immunized. And if we all know that um, most of the times, prevention, like they say, is better than cure. So we want to make sure we prevent our children from developing preventable diseases, such as the pneumonia, um, measles, chickenpox, um, um, tuberculosis. So because of this, that's, you know, the, there's immunizations which where we give the children vaccines. Here in Nigeria, the emphasis is usually laid on children from zero to five. And because I'm chairman for the primary health care, so I'm just going to put the emphasis on zero to five because that's the very vulnerable age. And then we'll make sure that the mothers make sure that these children get immunized and have access to medical care and that way they prevent them from developing these diseases. And then you also want to look at the um, role of the woman in the family because she also has to make sure that the lifestyle of the family, it's really 
where it should be. And so the woman has to make sure that she herself exercises because we as women, we have to look at the way we balance our work life because we still have to go out there and look for the economic means to cater for the family. And so we have to make sure that we have this work um, life balance where we make sure that we are exercising, make sure that the kids and the husband and the spouses are also exercising and living very healthy lifestyle. We also have to make sure that we have enough sleep and the rest of the family has enough sleep. And then all the other things that go with healthy lifestyles, such as avoiding alcohol and um, avoiding cigarette smoking. And um, we also look at the reproductive and family planning. That burden lies with the woman. And so in family health, the husband and the wife also have to plan the family. And so if they decide that they have to have two, three children because they want a healthy family, the burden lies on the woman to make sure she gets her you know, family planning in place in whatever form in terms of the contraceptive or the intrauterine device, whatever form she needs to get done for family planning to make sure that the family stays within the, um, the number that they want and that way they can be able to look after the family. So in all of this, um, what we're saying is that the role of a woman is, the, is really huge on us as women to take care of the family. And so the family health is actually on the woman because she is the coordinator, she's the promoter, and she ensures that the family is well taken care of. I would um, use this as an introduction because they had told me that I had 10 minutes to speak on uh, family health and then I'll let the questions come in and that way we can move on. Thank you very much. Okay, um, hello everyone. <laughs> I'm going to be taking over from uh, our host, Rosemary Onyebigwa. My name is uh, Ijoma Onyato. It's nice to be here. Connectivity was a bit of a challenge initially, but uh, that has been sorted out. Um, I'm just going to encourage you to perhaps speak a little longer because you have actually done, <laughs> done the full 10 minutes. If there's um, a specific aspect of family health beyond what you have talked about now, um, you could also share that before the questions start coming in. Uh, I'm, I'm yet to see any questions. Rosemary, can you see anything there? Okay, so in talking about, oh, sorry. Sorry, please okay, go on. So in talking about, yeah, in talking about family health, um, we had talked earlier about as women, how we have to be able to find the balance to be able to make sure that every member of the family has healthy living, have access to medical care. And then we also make sure that when we are raising our children, the behavior of the children, the children turning out to be um, the good citizens and live and thrive in their lives is also um, put on the woman. Um, this is not to say that we don't have situations where it is the male or the husband that now takes the role of the woman. But if we go back in the age, you know, ages or decades back, 
you would notice that from time immemorial, the woman has always had the role of having to search. That means go out and look for the economic means to cater for the family, be it through farming, any form of agriculture. They go to the farm, make sure they get the right foods to bring home to the family because she knows that the nutrition is key to healthy living and good family health. And so when the woman brings it in, and she also understands that health um, has the mental states to look at. So she makes sure she raises her children to be of good behavior. And also she has to learn herself to be able to balance the mental health part of health and also the physical part. And so in balancing all of that, as a woman, because we see that this burden is huge on us, we as women have to ensure that we exercise regularly to stay fit because for you to be able to take the burden of family health, you have to be healthy first. And so for you to stay healthy, you have to live a very healthy lifestyle. So okay. just making sure you have. So, so let me just uh, let me just cut you mm. in, cut in there to ask a, a question before other questions start coming in. You talked about um, the woman being central to you know the health of family life, family lifestyle. Mm. Um, we all know what's happening with COVID now, and some in some families, you know, a woman has children of different ages. So you have teenagers at home, you have the under tens at home, and everybody's on the internet. So in a time where we're all locked down in the same uh, space. How can the woman, you know, maximize her role as somebody who is to balance what is happening in the home, seeing that there's no way you can go, and we're all in one in one physical space. So, how do you balance that healthy lifestyle when there is nowhere to go? All you can do is turn to the internet. You have younger children who shouldn't be viewing certain content, and older children within that same space. So it's it's, it's a lot more challenging for the average woman in this COVID you know, uh, dispensation. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Ijoma. And you know, um, you know, we talked about health, the World Health Organization definition of health as being a state of physical, mental, and social well-being in the absence of disease or infirmities. Okay, so now we look at the mental well-being. Now you have the COVID-19 pandemic, so everybody eats in the house. And so, you know, everybody's in everybody's space. It's, it's, it has its advantages and disadvantages because now everybody gets to know everybody better and they get to learn to live with each other. And as a woman, understanding that stress can actually not be healthy and affect the family health. So you as a woman, you have to look at the things that can, you can do to de-stress the whole situation. We talked about exercise. Yes, there's lockdown, but it has not stopped us from going outside where we can social distance and take a walk. If you have dogs or pets, you can walk with them. You can walk as a family. That way you distress and then you stay physically healthy, mentally healthy. And then making sure that the children get enough sleep. So if they are on the internet, you have to make ensure that at least they get eight hours of sleep every day. Mm. And with everybody being in the house, I know we, most of us are very religious. Mm. Hey, you put in the prayers. 
you also pray, you can read your Bibles together. And then that way you are distressing and instead of spending so much time. And now there's online schooling. So a lot of kids are also online, so that keeps them engaged. And so you as a mother can actually help the family health in that mental state that we talked about through the definition of health, making sure that it's balanced and then making sure that they eat healthy uh, food because you are in charge of the nutrition of the family. So you're making sure there's lots of vegetables because now we're talking about building up your immunity because of COVID-19. And so there's no cure for COVID-19 right now. The only cure we know for now is a great immunity and also the absence of comorbidities, which is the diseases that we talked about, such as hypertension, diabetes, any form of cancer, um, anemia. And so that's where the woman becomes really important. When you exercise regularly, you tend to put away these comorbidities we talked about, such as diabetes, high blood pressure, because patients with COVID-19 don't do well if they have comorbidities. If your immune system is great, which we have talked about through nutrition, which is the role of the woman, then even if a patient contacts COVID-19, they're, they're most likely to do well. The ones that don't do well are the ones with the comorbidities, the diseases that we talked about. And the woman has a great role to make sure that her family stays healthy by making sure they have healthy lifestyles, exercising, eating right, making sure they have access to healthcare and medical care. We talked about how to make sure that the children get immunizations. If the, anyone in the family has any um, comorbidities, to make sure they have access to medical care. They're seeing their physicians regularly, taking their medications regularly. And so the woman's role in family health can never be underestimated. Okay, Dr. Koba, you've done, you've done pretty well. Um, at this point, um, I know questions are going to come. Once one, one person starts, then the floodgates will open. That's usually how it goes. I'm going to invite um, Dr. Adediji, Dr. Mudupe Adediji, to also give us uh, her own talk. She's going to talk about an area we all are also interested in, but rather than it being general family health, we're looking at the health of the woman herself, menopause, um, uh, and I will let her continue with the rest. But what I do here and what I do find is that it affects different women differently. And um, it, the, we, all, we can only hear from the professionals to, to tell us that this is something we shouldn't panic over. So Dr. Dedeji, if you can take over from, from here. Dr. Dedeji, can you hear us? Okay, um, Rosemary, our, our host, can we see her? Hello, Dr. Dedeji. Okay, she was logged in just now, but I, I can't seem to find her. Let me just put a call through to her. Okay. Um, so the questions can start with Dr. Okoba. Let me try and reach her again. Okay. So if you have questions for, for Dr. Koba around family health, uh, around um, the healthy lifestyle that a woman should, uh, should maintain, please send them in right now. But if you don't, I, I shall kick off by asking questions of my <laughs> questions. Okay, of that's my fine. Yes. Um, 
for, for the girls who are at home, um, daughters, for instance, I find that summer has kicked in, whether we like it or not. And um, there isn't very much, there's nowhere to go, really. We're all in, at home. Are there any tips that you can give a woman, you know, for her to preserve her own mental state while you try to do, play this huge Herculean role for the family? Because you find that in the past, either you would travel for summer or you would do summer camp or summer school. Everything is now on the internet. So what are those things a woman can do to maintain a healthy emotional state um, while we're trying to balance the rest of the family? Okay, that's a, that's a great question. And um, like we talked about, the woman, the role of the woman is huge in family health because we, we, so much is on us. And um, for a woman to be able to balance this, especially in this pandemic, because the pandemic has also increased the percentage of people who are depressed and depression is real. And um, it's, um, it's not something we can undermine. It's something we really need to pay close attention to. And um, for a woman, because we have to still continue to work, look after the family, make sure the family health is um, perf well, perfect, uh, make sure they can assess healthcare and all the things we talked about in family health. Um, I would recommend for most women that the kids in the house, um, hopefully they can get into summer school, which they can do online. Or if not, we can um, create activities for the children. Um, like uh, Mrs. Onyebigwa said earlier, my kids are all adults now. But thinking back to when they were younger, um, you can create activities in the house, um, such as making sure they have books that they can read. Um, you can get them books and then, you know, or create a book club and then they can write about the book or talk about the book or you can play indoor games. But after a while, you can all feel like you're cramped in the house. And yeah. that's why I talked about the, you know, the need for the exercise. We have parks in Lagos, Asaba, you know, I, we still exercise in Asaba, even during the lockdown, you could come out. There was no restriction. As long as you kept the six feet, physical distancing, um, you can still go out there and exercise and get some fresh air. And you can do this as a family, um, husband, wife, and children. as long as you're one unit, you could all exercise together. Exercise, it's, you can never, you know, over, overestimate the importance of exercise. Exercise is good for the physical well-being, the mental well-being. Because when, even if you're stressed out, if you take early morning walks or late evening walks, you can find yourself distressing. Another way is meditation. Meditation is good for you to distress and keep your mental well-being. And um, you can do that early mornings, late nights, when the house is quiet, children are still asleep, so, so husband is going to is bed. Is it like prayer, prayer, or is, what kind of meditation? Some people say yoga is part of meditation. Yes, you, yes, yoga is great. Yoga is great. So for those who, you can get that on YouTube. So you can get different forms of yoga exercises on YouTube and you can do that. And that helps you distress mentally. And then you can just meditate and just, you know, the mind. You just let it go and, you know, distress with that. So that's another way you can um, help the mental health as regards COVID-19 that we're all packed in one place 
there's nowhere to travel to, uh, but you know, to healthy living. That means, you know, going outside to, to be with nature, you know, instead of being cramped in the house. So it's really important that the, you can all exercise as a family or, you know, go individually. So that helps a great deal with the mental health. And if um, the depression becomes very clinical, at that point, I would usually recommend that you seek uh, professional help. All right. So you talk about balancing mental health now. I mean, we're using you here because <laughs> we're trying to sort out our uh, one not a, not a problem. Yeah. So um, before we get more questions, let's talk about physical health now. Balancing because you talk about how all your children are are all grown up, and you look so good. You're Adorable. looking like a twenty-one year old. You know. So you're going to share the secrets. But beyond that, how regular? I mean, I know a lot of women if they don't, if they're not actually ill or they're not um, either pregnant or in a gynecologist, need some gynecological care, they probably will not turn up at the hospital if they're not taking their child to the hospital. How regularly should a woman have a once-over? We call it like an MOT, your gynecological MOT, your breast examination, your smear test. You know, we tend to carry on for everybody else and leave ourselves behind. So as a woman, balancing husband, children, single parents, balancing the role of both father and mother, or even teenage girl who's balancing having to not be at home because she has a small child of her own. How should you take care of your body in the year? How often should you have yourself checked out? Yes, as a woman, every woman needs to see whether you have any disease or not, you need to get what we call the annual physical medical and then also um, you need to get what we call the annual gynecological exam but that has changed so let's talk about the physical i mean how, how frequently you should get your gynecological exam such as the pap smear so when we talk about women we look at the different um, stages uh, you know different age groups so for our young girls, um, starting from zero, we talk about immunization, you know, make sure our mothers are breastfeeding the neonates, making sure because we know breast milk is good for the baby. Um, we had talked about how prevention is better than cure and then making sure they get their vaccines and prevent those diseases. So you're keeping the girl child healthy through that. And then when they start to get to the age of um, 12, 13, and they start to notice the body changes and they start to come on their menstruation, and it's on the mother to talk to the um, girl child about what um, her periods would look like and what that means. And also talk to the girl about sex and, um, you know, let them know that they shouldn't be having sex till they get married. But if, you know, if that happens, you have to be open with your daughters. If that happens, please let me know. And so we can talk about family planning. You know, that is the way it should go. So if they know you ha they have that open communication with their mother, then they can discuss with their mother. And then when they get to the age of 21, at that point, between these ages, they're supposed to see a doctor at least once a year. And then at, when they're younger, because they come in for immunization, um, there's the immunization schedule, so they bring them at those times. But after that period, at least once a year, where they get their weight checked to make sure they're growing well, their height, and then their blood pressure, 
and also make sure they're not anemic because at that age they can become anemic especially when they start to have their periods and so you want to make sure they're taking their iron tablets if they're anemic maybe they're losing a lot of blood and then you have that conversation with them about menstrual periods you have the conversation about sex and you know talking about contraception and stuff and all of that with family planning and then the gynecological exam does not start till the age of 21. And what that means is that that's when the young girl gets her first pap smear. The mm -hmm. pap smear, it's a screening test for cervical cancer. And regardless whether the young girl is sexually active or not, they start their pap smear at age 21. That okay. changed with the American Academy of Gynecology that the young girl starts her first pap smear at age 21. And then after that, they don't get one for the next three years. And so it's every three years until they turn 30 for the gynecological exam. And at these times, they also get what we call the um, physical breast exam. The doctor examines their breast just to make sure everything is okay. And then you also teach them how to do self-breast exams. So that way, if they notice any lumps in their breast, they are able to come to their doctors. Yeah. And then they're still getting the annual physical exam, which we talked about, which is the blood pressure. Um, at 21, they start to check for cholesterol, making sure that the cholesterol is on, within limits. And then you talk to them about safe sex, if they're sexually active. These are conversations that mothers should be having with their daughters. The need, we don't encourage sex before marriage, but if that happens, make sure it's safe and kids using the condom and you are actually protecting yourself as a young girl. So when they get to the age of 30, at that point, you start to do the pap smears and the pap smear, and the pap smear at age 30, you can include the screening for what we call the human papilloma virus. And the human papilloma virus, it's a virus that can cause cervical cancer and also genital warts. And so what happens is that now there are vaccines for the human papilloma virus that we give to our young girls starting from the age of 12 up until they turn 24. So um, that prevents them from having cervical cancer. And so when they get to 30, they can get screening for that because hopefully they've had the human papilloma virus, HPV vaccine when they were younger. And if they do get the screening for the HPV with a pap smear from age 30, at that point, they, and if it's normal, at that point, they don't need to get another one till they, five years later. But if they, don't get, if they just get a regular pap smear, then they need to do it every three years. And so when the woman gets to the age of 40, at this point, we start to do the mammograms. Because, um, and this is, um, there's been so much controversy at starting the mammogram which is the screening for breast cancer in women at the age of 40 or 50. So there are different schools of thoughts. Some would say um, you know you have to tailor their guidelines but what it is is that as a physician when the woman comes in for her annual physical you have to look at the whole picture because you're looking at the patient in front of you and uh, if there's any family history of breast cancer you know that may necessitate for the woman to get her mammogram earlier and um, studies have shown that the digital mammogram can actually see masses long before the woman can even feel 
at least two to three years before the woman can actually feel the lump. Mm. And so you get your women um, starting their mammograms early. So our recommendation is to start at age 40, and then you can do it every two years. But if you notice any breast lump, please get it done earlier. And then um, when the woman starts to, you know, I, I'm going to leave this uh, for the gynecologist who's going to talk about the perimenopause and the menopause, because at this age, that's when the perimenopause and menopause starts to set in. And then by the time we get to age 50, um, most women probably have been through menopause or, you know, are still in the process of going through the menopause. And so, but from age 50, what the recommendation uh, is, is that the woman is still coming every year, every year, at least once a year, to get checked, make sure there's no high blood pressure, make sure there's no diabetes, um, you know, and then make sure there's no high cholesterol because these are the, you know, comorbidities, the diseases that can increase the um, chances of developing heart attacks or uh, a stroke. So you, you just want to make sure. And then if you have any of these, then you should see your doctors more regularly as opposed to once a year. And then from age 50, we bring in what we call the colon cancer screening, which is the colonoscopy. Um, once you hit the age of 50, there's a recommendation that you should get the colonoscopy done. And that screens for colon cancer. And if that's normal, then you don't need to repeat it for another 10 years. What about those but, that say the colonoscopy can be very uncomfortable? And uh, very painful. <laughs> well, it is not painful because I can speak because I have personally had a colonoscopy as I speak. I am 53 years old and I had one wow. done three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I had one done three years ago when I turned 50. No, you don't feel any pain because they actually give you what we call conscious sedation. That means they put you to sleep. You're not fully asleep, but you don't okay. feel anything. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I, I woke up and... Um, I was fine, you know, so it's nothing to fear, but it's like we said, prevention is better than cure. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when they do the colonoscopy, if they find a polyp, a polyp is like a tag in the, in the intestine, they use the opportunity and nip it because it's those polyps that can end up as colon cancer. And that's mm -hmm. how come you fear because colonoscopy hasn't been enforced in Nigeria. In America, it is a, is a preventive test that's covered by the insurance companies in America that once you get to the age of 50, uh, male or female, you need to get your colonoscopy. So mm -hmm. that is a preventive test that we as women should be looking at getting. And then you continue your mammogram like we talked about earlier. You continue your pap smears. You continue checking your blood pressure, uh, blood sugar, cholesterol. And then you continue to exercise. Um, I must emphasize that exercise, I know God is great because it gives us good genes, but exercise is another form of anti-aging um, medications that you can beat. It's, um, it's good for everything. If, I can tell you this because I exercise very regularly. I know I got some good genes from my mom, but exercise has helped a great deal. So it's a good anti-aging uh, mechanism. So if you don't want to look old uh, or you don't want to look your, your age or you want to look younger, exercise regularly. It can be in the form of walking, jogging. If your knees hurt, you can just do fast brisk walking. And then the yoga we talked about is really great. And then aerobics and then dance. 
different forms of exercise. And then when you get to the age of 65, we recommend you stop screening for pap smears. That's the recommendation. That's the screening for colon cancer. Okay. And age 75 is when you stop screening for colon cancer. And then in all of these that we're taking you through a woman's life, we talked about the mental health. Um, I'm going to wait for the gynecologist to talk about the menopause because during that time, a lot of women go through a lot of mood swings, some actually get into depression. And so at that point you have to, I know in Nigeria, they look at mental health as a, you know, it's, there's so much stigmatization with mental health. And so it's like depression is not real. Oh, you, no, no, it's not real, but it is real. If you find that you're, you know, you're not wanting to do things that you normally enjoy doing, um, you're snapping at people, you're tearful, little things just make you angry, little things make you cry, you don't, or you're either not eating or you're overeating, you're becoming overweight or you're underweight. So these are all common symptoms of depression. Is it that you seek help, talk to somebody you are confident in, or you seek professional help? and get a psychologist that can talk you out of it. And if you need medications, there's no harm in taking the medications because you will now thrive, like uh, Thrive Women's Solution is saying, this is all about healthy living and you know, living your life to the fullest and being happy and thriving while you're uh, living. So the depression, the mental, part, uh, mental health part of it is really key for us women. Like we talked about being so burdened with so much of taking care of the family health. And um, we also have to make sure we balance our own health as women. So by the time we get to the age 75, the recommendation is to stop the colonoscopy. At that point, you have stopped your mammograms at that because they say that, you know, unless you feel something such as a breast lump, then you can go ahead and get the mammogram or you have symptoms of colon cancer. Maybe you think you have, um, blood in your stool or you're having abdominal pain, then they can still do that. But after the age of 75, the recommendation right now is it's no longer a screening test for uh, women or men. So that being said, I believe I've been able to run through the screening and prevention test for women starting from when we are born you know, making sure they're being breastfed so that way we prevent diseases, making sure the babies get their immunizations, the vaccines so they get to school age and, you know, working them through their um, healthy living so okay. they become adults. Okay, Thank so you. now questions are beginning to pour in. I have a lot of questions for you. I'm going to start off with this question talking about the attitude of women towards family planning. You know, we talked about family health and all that. I also have other questions concerning finances, our Nigerian situation and all that versus balanced diets. I'll come to that. But since we're on the line of health, let me ask this one first. So um, in a situation where you have teenage girls between 16 and then older girls, 16 to 25 or there above, who are not married, um, but they're you know, children of yours, what is your view on them getting family planning? Because in this side of the world, it's a cultural thing, you know, so a lot of mothers tend to shy away from the fact that they want the child either to start some sort of family planning because they become sexually active, even though we preach abstinence. But then you find that in the society today, you can preach abstinence from here till you, till you stop. Nothing stops them from not actually taking on that message. So would you say that um, 
recommending such a thing for children 16 to maybe to the 25 year old who isn't married yet? What are your views on, on the, them getting some sort of contraception sorted out? It's a very challenging one because of our culture, our religion. Uh, Let me yeah, that. No, I, I, no, seriously, I can, I can speak to it, you know, because, um, and you know, I'm also Catholic, so, you know, uh, the Catholic faith does not encourage that. But, you know, I'm also, uh, you know, you look at it as a doctor, being a scientist, you have to look at that angle too. But um, that being said, what I would say to that is that family, you know, right now the population, it's exploding. And one of the determinants of um, healthy living is the size of the family. If you have a family where um, family planning wasn't put in place, because in talking about family planning, then you're talking about the contraceptions, you know, just wanting planned pregnancies as opposed to accidental pregnancies. It's planned. You, you, then you work towards it and you, you, know, you know that, okay, I'm going to have a baby at this time. So it's safe for the mother. It reduces the maternal mortality and also reduces infant mortality. Why I'm a pro-family planning person is that I do, um, like you already know, I'm chairman of the primary healthcare in Delta State. And so I, I cover a lot of rural communities. And uh, when I go to the riverine communities or any of the rural communities, you find young girls, 12, pregnant, 13, pregnant, one, it has made the young girl not achieve her full potential because she was not aware that she can actually prevent this pregnancy and plan for a pregnancy when the time comes. They drop out of schools, they don't get married, and you know, if she was going to thrive, that has hindered that for her because now she's now burdened with a child or children that she has to now cater for. But if you introduce this, and then some of them actually die in the process of either getting an abortion because they don't, because of the stigma that they got pregnant early before marriage, they go and then have witnessed so many, especially in the rural communities. I can talk about rural communities because I work in those communities. And then also, I can also talk about America too, because I have seen a lot of young girls even despite the availability of the family planning that get pregnant at 13. That's, and that's not because it, it wasn't available, but because they were not aware. So I believe as mothers, it is our job to talk to our young girls before they even start talking about their menstrual periods, what sex is all about. Yes, we don't preach that you should have sex before marriage. We encourage you to be abstain. But if that happens, there are means to prevent unwanted pregnancies. Because we know that these unwanted pregnancies do not allow our young girls to achieve their full potentials. You have a young girl who had had a dream of becoming a doctor. Not because nobody told her that she can actually take oral contraceptives or have any other form of family planning and she gets pregnant while she's in school, in secondary school, she drops out. And that dream is never fulfilled. But if she had access or she had, she knew that she could get this, then it won't happen. So there's so many advantages for us as mothers 
to keep that open line, open link of communication with our young daughters, starting from age 10, before they have to start, um, start their period, and letting them know about sex education and talking to them as they go along. That open line of discussion, it's really important. I hope I answered okay. that question. Yes, you did. And the questions are coming in very thick and fast. But what I'm okay. going to do, I, I understand that Dr. Modupa Dediji has rejoined us. I want us to, I want her to be able to speak on her topic for just 10 minutes so that the rest of the time can be for Q&A because women have a lo lots of questions. Some don't want to ask their questions to their average doctor who is a family doctor that was ah, okay. see the question your wife asked me, hope nothing. In the, in the place like this, this is the time they can ask such questions. I know it's difficult, isn't it? So I'm going to ask Dr. Modupe to please um, talk to us about menopause, talk to us about um, perimenopause. I think that's what we called it. Yes, so that um, we can now allow participants to really participate because that's the whole idea of the conference. So Dr. Modupe, over to you, please. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. we can. Uh, good afternoon. Yeah. Uh, I've been asked to take the topic on um, perimenopause and menopause. I, ideally, I'll just leave it as menopause. And because it's all together, it's from menopause that we'll start talking about the fact that you prepare for it. And then um, the signs you start having as you get to it. And then you know definitely that menopause is when the menses ceases, it stops coming completely and all that. So it's a normal process, it's a part of life, what uh, we should be expecting as women. Because the truth of matter is that uh, the uh, circle is just um, is a period of time. We have the time of menarche, menarche which means the first time of menses, and then which leads us into our reproductive age and eventually it goes, goes to menopause. And the whole reason for this is because of our making as women. Our follicles have been given to us as, at the time of our making in our mothers. We have been given about 3 million follicles. At the end of the day, from processing, this, when, we are, when we are delivered by our mothers and we are getting ready for poverty, we are left with about 3,000 follicles. Unlike our male counterparts, who continue to produce sperm, somatozoa, and all that. We don't produce, we don't manufacture. We come to mother heart with our own follicles. And then it's going to be spanning through the number of circles we're going to have. And each time we are on our circle, that's when we have our ovulation coming before our menses. We release about 300 to 400 follicles. When I say follicles, I mean eggs from the OB. This is the model of our female uh, reproductive system. And when I'm saying this is the uterus, which we colloquially call womb, and then the ovary, where the eggs are. So in this compartment, I hope you can see it, that's where the eggs are stored. That's where we call the ovary. So are you each time... So maybe you raise it up so that we can... Yes, okay. okay. So at each time um, there's ovulation, egg comes out from here. Can you see the colored points? Those are the follicles represented as, like that. About 300 of that comes out every circle, related to every month. And in a normal um, scientific, so to say, we have said our circles about 28 days, that it comes out every, um, it comes out every mid-circle, that's on the 14th day, 
And then if there's no pregnancy, then there will be menses. So that happens every time in our circle up until the eggs are exhausted. And that will cause, that's what we call menopause. And the responsibility of the eggs are too, apart from the fact that they have the responsibility to be awaiting spermatozoa to get them fertilized and get pregnant, they also have the responsibility of producing estrogen. Estrogen is one of the hormones, very important for a woman. In fact, that's what gives us the characteristics of being a woman. That explains why my voice sounds feminine. That explains why I have breasts. That explains why my shape is as it is and all that. So the eggs is their responsibility to do that. And as soon as the, egg, the eggs are over, the estrogen too stops. But the uh, advantage for that, on the other hand, that it can be produced through another means, but not the type that comes from the OB, that helps to support the period. So that is why there is actually a period. We don't, we glide it into it quietly. In this part of the world, we expect that menopause is averagely to be expected from the age of 49 to 51 years. You know, some people start quite early from 45 and some people can start as late as 55. But the truth of matter is that anything that is still going beyond 55 years, then we have to be very suspicious about it and all that. So um, it goes on like that. So, um, so what are the things that we should expect when we are getting towards this age? As I've explained, estrogen aside, aside from, that is produced from the OB, aside from the fact that it supports pregnancy, supports um, our menses, and then it's also what is, as I said, defines our making as women. So as soon as it is depleted, we are going to start noticing some signs. And the depletion is noticed when we start, when our eggs are becoming very reduced in the ovary, so to say. Very, very reduced. And we start having some of those signs. The very common ones that come up first is the irregularity in the menses. And that's what we call peri. That's what I'm explaining now. Perimenopausal. That's, peri just means around the menses. Peri means around. Peri means around. And menses means, you know, as, as we all know, so to say. So uh, we start noticing that um, the uh, menses become irregular. And that is the reason, that is what, because the eggs are not coming out as regularly as they are supposed to. And then you now notice that the mess, your menses also is um, not coming as often as it's supposed to. Then you notice that and three months, I've not seen my menses. Why was happening? All of a sudden, it can come subsequent months again, the fourth month, fifth month, and the next thing that you just see that it comes again, the seventh or even the twelfth month. But we classically say menopause. When you look back and say, for the past 12 months, I have not seen my menstruation and all that. The other symptoms that comes with it are very commonly the vasomotor complaints. When I say vasomotor, that means the vessels and uh, the way the vessels and the muscles they control, so to say. So with the very common symptom is hot flushes. Hot flushes means that uh, is this feeling that on the inside you feel some warmness. In fact, you feel heat which starts from the mid-body around the umbilicus and goes right straight up to the head. And the next thing you see, the next thing you notice that you sweat out. And you notice that, what's happening? You ask around that, is this place hot? Then you, the young, your younger counterpart will tell you, no, the, the room is okay, the temperature is fine. Then you will now notice that this becomes much more regular and all of that. So these are some of the common signs. In fact, it's commoner in the nights. And that's why we could, you could come to us and complain of night sweats, so to say. So we have to know that. 
Then coming to the sexual part of it, the oxygen too is responsible for the strength in our vagina. The fact that the vagina is supposed to be liquidified when we have the drive, when, the, when we have the desire to have sex. But during this period, you just notice that the libido drops. And the, apart from that, it finds you, it's difficult for you to get wet, you know, and all that. I hope you understand what I mean when we say wet. The glands around the vagina is supposed to be producing a liquid that's supposed to help with a satisfying um, sexual intercourse. So at this period, you notice that it's quite difficult. And then it's, it's your, complaint, your partner may even complain of you being tight. Obviously, when I say partner, I expect to be your husband, so to say, you know, and all that. So these are the discomfort. And then this can lead to some discharge, which may not even be as a result of infection. You just can't keep like, talking about the fact that you're having some discharge, you call it vaginitis, and even pain when passing urine. That's retritis and all of that. So these are some of the symptoms one could have. But other symptoms that you may even think is not related to menopause, and funny enough, when you come to see us, we let you realize that is some heart conditions. These are the time when heart conditions become uh, obvious. Hypertension, majorly coronary heart disease, which we call myocardiac infarction, and popularly we say cardiac arrest, you know. Then weakness in our bones as well, osteoporosis, where small, small joints in our body is painful, and uh, that's the head of the bones of our arm, of our forearm, the, our back bones, and you, know, you just notice that those weakness, because it is also the responsibility of the estrogens to help with the strengthening of all of these spaces. So when it is low, then these are the things that we usually feel. So how do we manage menopause? In this part of the world, in fact, it's, it's so common in our clinics to find that women coming forward and complaining about how they feel and how that. The only reason why they will come is probably because they got their blood, blood pressure checked up somehow and it was uh, elevated. Or probably uh, they notice that uh, they are worried, maybe in cases where maybe they still want to increase their family size. Or in fact, in this, uh, we've noticed that in this part of, the, of Nigeria, where people, where our girls are interested in education and all that, and at the end of the day, they end up in late marriages, then they start off family size very well. And before you know it, they're already 40. They come to you and just come to you and complain of regular means. You just ask for some investigation and you just find out that, wow, madam, this looks as if your message is about to stop, you know, and all of that. So these are some of the reasons why they can come to us. And then we have to put one or two things together to let them know. And some of the investigations we have to do is to check the hormones in the body. And one of the hormones that controls the estrogen that will give us a limelight to something is happening here is the follicle stimulating hormone. It's, a, it's an hormone that is produced from the brain that tells the eggs of the, in the ovaries that they are to be recruited, they have to be growing because they are going to be the next set of follicles that will be ovulated and all of that. So if the eggs are over, that means that the follicles you have uh, You have about four minutes to round up. Okay, I hope I'm not, too, I'm not becoming too medical. <laughs> uh, well, so the questions are coming, which is very yes. good. So, so that follicles okay. dimension hormone becomes so elevated, and that gives us a signal that it is telling the eggs to come out. But they are not available, and that's why it's, become, it's being produced the more. So when we do that test, we see that uh, added to your age, I don't know that they will know that there's menopause on it. Before I round up, it's important to also know that menopause can be caused uh, by some other certain things. For instance, 
if the uterus has been removed alongside with the ovaries from some cancers in the past, or even for uterine fibroids, definitely with, with the patients has been abrupted from menstruation, and that means that's menopause. At times, we also have to go through some cancer therapies like radiotherapy, which can also affect the functionality of the eggs, and that is the, uh, those are the reasons why we, the menstruation will stop. And then there are some diseases of the ovaries itself that we have to go in and remove the ovary. When there is no ovary, there is no menses, and that is menopause. So I think I should stop there. Let me see what okay. questions are like. I wish we, we were in a room. We could all just give her a round of applause, but we can do it virtually. I don't see your hand up. You're not clapping for Dr. Dediji and mm -hmm. Dr. Koba. So, <laughs> so I have loads of questions here. Um, so I will direct the questions to accordingly to the speakers. So I will start with Dr. Koba. This is for you. There, okay. Using the current Nigerian situation, how can low-income families get a balanced diet? They keep telling you a portion of fruit, a portion of fish, portion of meat. You are still trying to organize how you cook beans. And they're telling you a portion of salad, a portion of... So, um, as that woman who is in the family, you want to do your best for your family, but the money just is not enough. What are the practical tips you can give you know, to women out there? who even with this, like the time they were of the lockdown, they were saying, go and stock up. People say, where is the money to stock up? So what do we do? Um, basically, when we talk about uh, um, the nutrition, as the woman being the promoter of health, especially true nutrition, um, would look at uh, the woman looking at the balanced diet through the carbohydrate, the protein, and then the vitamins. And uh, when you look at that, let's talk about a woman who probably is in the village. Um, she has her farm. She can grow lots of vegetables and then she, she you know, make sure she has um, the vegetables or does the vegetable soup. Um, if, she does, if she doesn't have enough money to get the meat, she can use the crayfish. That's way cheaper. And then um, the thing is you need to teach them that they have to have um, the carbohydrate, but balance it with the protein, especially for the children who are growing because the children need this nutrition to be able to grow and thrive. So um, you don't have to have the salad like you have in America to be able to have a balanced diet mm -hmm. because we don't, have, the women, the women in the villages don't, because we, we're talking, you and I, we can, you can afford it. And most people here can afford it. But what about the woman in my village what about her so we teach them that yes you farm even if you don't have a farm you can grow a small garden behind your house and make sure you plant the tomatoes the pepper um, if you have a farm you can have your yams and you know from there just make sure that when you put the food on the table for the family to feed on you have the carbohydrates you have the protein and then you have the protein can be in the fish if you can afford it, if not crayfish. And then for the mothers who can't even afford that, um, we also encourage them to give their young babies um, what we call the ready to use um, feed that's made out of granules. And then they can actually blend that and feed them. You know, in, in America, it would be called the peanut butter. But, you know, here, granite is pretty, I know it's not that expensive. They can actually make granite soup or you know blend the granite for the babies because the people we're really worried about with the malnutrition are usually our children 
And then for the young adults, just make sure they, they're balancing that diet and carbohydrates and a little bit of the protein and then a little bit of the vitamins, which will come in oranges. Now is corn season. You have the pear, you have the oranges, you have pineapples. You know, you, I mean, there are many ways we can balance it. We don't have to be eating um, the very, very expensive foods. But in the very little ways, we can actually make sure that our children or the members of our families have a balanced diet so they can um, thrive, okay. especially with their health. Okay, thank you. I hope that helps someone out there. Dr. Dedeji, this one is for you. How true is it that taking contraceptive pills for a long period can affect a woman's fertility in the long run? And does it increase the risk of developing breast cancer? So I'll take it again. How true is it that taking contraceptive pills for a long time can affect a woman's fertility in the long run? And does it increase the risk of developing breast cancer? Okay. I mean, the second question is very easy to answer. That is yes. That answer to that is just yes. So that is why you are not supposed to be taking the contraceptive pills without prescription, without guidance. For instance, when we are starting any patients on contraceptive pills, there must be a reason, especially when you are just using it for family planning. You have to take a history, go into your family, find out if there's any issue of cancer, breast cancer, most especially, and all of that. So we are, so you are supposed to be guided on your choice of family planning. Then we also use contraceptive pills for even therapy of some gynecological conditions that not be able to elaborate that here now. But um, those are the things we use it for. Then talking about it causing infertility, definitely if you are using the drug with the guidance of a gynecologist, this will be what you are trying to achieve with the use of the drug. You cannot just put yourself on contraceptive pills and all of that. The aim of contraception is actually to prevent one from getting pregnant. For the pills, it works as preventing ov ovulation from occurring. That means preventing follicles, that's the eggs, from coming out of the ovary when they are supposed to. You know, so if you use it for a long time, what is the reason for using it for a long time? Is it to space your family or you have completed your family size? Definitely, we will not want to encourage its use for a woman who is being managed for infertility. And if we are using it, there will be a reason for it. I hope there's an understanding on that. Okay, what about the breast cancer uh, angle? Yes, I said yes to that. Okay, yes. okay. Yes. all right. Okay, so I have this uh, other question. This is for Dr. Koba. So many women take several supplements and a lot of variants in the stores. Please explain how effective it is to start taking supplements from the age of 50. So forever, if you are forever being new aloe vera, this and that, then, you know, you go into a pharmacy, you just want to buy vitamin C. Oh, they look at you, ah! Madam, buy for bone. Madam, buy for this and that. Well, woman, healthy woman. So, from the age of 50, supplements. Um, okay. You, you know, uh, when um, the gynecologist, talked, uh, Dr. Modupe, talked about uh, menopause, she had a, a point where she mentioned osteoporosis. And basically what osteoporosis is, is when a woman gets to her menopause, there's a decrease in the bone density. And um, if that happens that can actually lead to bone fracture. And so that's why sometimes when you find women over the age of 50, when they fall, they fracture easily. So when you get to the age of 50, there's some supplements that will be helpful. 
And um, so if a woman after the age of 50 actually should get screening for um, bone density, it's called the, you do the desk scan. And if they, they have osteopenia, that means decreased bone density or the osteoporosis, then we can put them on supplements. And such supplements would include calcium with vitamin D, okay? And so um, calcium and vitamin D, it's good for a woman over the age of 40. And um, the one of aloe vera, there's so many supplements, I do agree to that. Um, I can tell you for myself, I guess because of the COVID-19, um, I'm taking the vitamin C, 1,000 milligram once a day, the vitamin D, <laughs> the vitamin D3, and, uh, and zinc. And that's just to build immunity. And then um, I'm 53, but I haven't started taking calcium and, uh, well, I'm taking vitamin D3 now. But um, the calcium and vitamin D, it's helpful if you do have osteopenia, that's the decreased bone density or the osteoporosis. Um, I get a lot of sunlight, um, the early morning sunlight that gets, you know, especially when I exercise in the mornings. So that would also be helpful. I'm not one to, I don't like, I guess maybe because I'm a doctor, but I don't like taking, popping a lot of pills. And right. so the supplements, I've had uh, uh, another, you know, so, there's so many studies out there to show that all these supplements is like taking sugar pills. That means do they truly work? Some of them, like the vitamin C, we talked about the D3, the zinc, um, vitamin B12, uh, but you can get all of these in one multivitamin and just take one and, you know, just uh, make sure you exercise, drink at least eight glasses of water a day, eat lots of fruits and vegetables. There's a lot of these supplements too. I, in your fruits, vegetables, and the foods that we eat. So I'm, I'm going to um, back if you're back deficient in them, then take them. I'm even going yeah, to back up with, with personal experience from my father, who is 86, um, 87 this year. Mm -hmm. And when he had uh, kidney stones, when the stones were analyzed, they found out that it was oh, undigested vitamin, uh, undigested uh, supplements that had massed together and formed stones in the kidney. So all of us just ran away from <laughs> such things that's no, not in your food but then of mm -hmm. course you can take the regular ones we take vitamin c but rather than popping a range of 10 different supplements and you feel i'm good to go you might not be good mm -hmm. to go all right let me ask another question <laughs> yes so this is for dr adediji now mm -hmm. this is an area we're all struggling or most of us are struggling after pregnancy a lot of women struggle to lose weight hmm Mm -hmm. the, how are you able to balance newborn children, mental health, exercise, and diet? Give us some practical tips, useful tips that they can, that people can use. Because a lot of people say they eat when they're under stress, and they, that's when they put on weight. Some people lose weight under stress. So, particularly after you've had a baby, and you're trying to baby, baby bulge and all that. What do you do when you are trying to be superwoman in the house, lose weight, make sure the family is, you know, how do you balance it? Uh, well, it, it, takes, it takes discipline, takes determination to lose weight. Uh, it's so easy to gain the weight and all that, but it takes a lot of discipline. Usually, we don't usually encourage weight loss, especially when you're in pregnancy, when you're just 
delivered because you can't put it together how you are eating and all of that. You have to take, you have to breastfeed and everything. So I think the weight loss um, ex, uh, period can come up just after you have finished breastfeeding. But nevertheless, you should, you should heal, eat healthy. And there are exercises that are encouraged during those periods, even during pregnancy, while you are breastfeeding and all of that. But the, we can pay attention to it when you have actually finished taking care of that particular kid. In between your pregnancies, you can lose it. Because definitely during pregnancy, you are going to gain weight. We yeah. sometimes have very uh, obese patients coming in pregnant. It's actually very challenging to tell them to lose weight. But we have a diet. We usually manage with dietitians where they will give you a diet on what to um, have. Because if you are not even gaining weight during the pregnancy, it becomes an issue of bother to us. Is the baby growing? Is the baby growing at all? So we usually leave that extensive weight loss, the loss that is uh, pleasing <laughs> to ourselves in between pregnancy and when you finish your family study. Okay, doctor, you don't relax because this other one is still for you. Um, if you have taken out your womb, I think it's called a, is it called a hysterectomy? Hysterectomy, oh, yes. Fantastic. Yes. Do you still experience spotting when, yes. even when the womb has been removed? Yes. Yes, hysterectomy has two types. One is total hysterectomy. And what total hysterectomy means that you are going to remove, okay, let me use my diagram again. <laughs> <laughs> so you are going to remove the whole of this, as in the cervix, this is the cervix. Okay, let me start like this. This is the external parts. I'm sure we can all identify this. Mm -hmm. Yes. So oh, it, goes into, yes. it goes into the vagina. Yes. And then this, the beginning of the cervix itself, I mean, of the uterus itself, the cervix. Mm -hmm. Can you see? The uterus, the fallopian tube, the ovaries. So what is the tummy entails is actually to remove this part and leave the vagina. So that's why nothing goes, uh, really there will be no problem with sex after you have removed your whole uterus. That's what we call the whole uterus, but they have different parts. So the other type of hysterectomy is subtotal, subtotal, meaning that you didn't remove the cervix. You left this part, but you removed the whole of this. Okay uterus. When you include the ovaries and, and the ovaries is called ophorectomy. Mm -hmm. So most times we tend to remove the ovaries alongside, especially when the woman is above 45 for certain reasons. But at times you remove the uterus even at younger age, maybe because of a excessive loss of blood during delivery and some other diseases of the womb you get to remove it. So in cases when you remove the total womb, it's unlikely that you should Spots, especially if um, depending on the indication for the removal. But if you remove just part of it, that subtotal, the cervix is still left back. And at times, some part of the upper part of the cervix may even be there, where the inner lining, that's called the endometrium, which, which is actually responsible for shedding of blood, then you see some blood coming out. So that is the normal. But for instance, if the reason for removing the uterus must have been as a result of a malignancy, malignancy means cancer maybe service cervical cancer or some other things, and then you are seeing blood, then we have to pay attention to it. Okay. But in the so case invariably, if there's any blood after you have removed your uterus, you need to see your gynecologist. 
so that the gynecologist can let you know that it is normal or is abnormal. Okay, Dr. Koba, I'm still going to come back to you. Even though you talked about um, taking off calcium and vitamin D for bones, I have a number of bone um, quest related questions. So I want to assume it's not yet, people are not yet satisfied, so you have to satisfy them. So I'm going to ask those questions. Okay. The first one says, um, sorry, let me just look for it. Um, are there foods that can prevent or treat osteoporosis? And what are the supplements to prevent it? So I'll just take it as two in one. So number one, are there foods to prevent osteoporosis? And what are the supplements that you can use um, to prevent it? And then the second one that was related to, to bones, um, yes, is after the age of 50, are there specific supplements you can take? for the same uh, challenge, yeah. Oh yeah, um, like we talked about earlier, um, osteoporosis, osteopenia, all related to decreased bone density, and this starts to increase as you um, hit menopause and over the age of 50. And um, the reason we have to pay attention to this is that after that age, when you fall, you can have what we call the osteoporotic fractures because it fractures easily because the bones are very brittle. And so now talking about the foods that you can eat, because we talked about the calcium and the vitamin D, and there are also medications to treat um, osteoporosis. So if um, we use the calcium and vitamin D to prevent it at that early stage where you have the, um, the decreased bone density, the osteopenia, and it still progresses to osteoporosis, there are medications that you can, the doctor has to give to you um, so please always make sure you seek that um, medical advice. Uh, for the kind of foods that you can eat, uh, you have to look at foods that are high in calcium and foods that are high in vitamin D. Um, for calcium, we can look at our milk. Milk is pretty high in calcium and also vitamin D. Um, we don't have the, some, yeah, we do have pasteurized milk here. So a woman can have a glass of milk a day that would help. Or you can put milk in your cereal if you do like the oatmeal or any form of cereal. So that would also help. Orange juice is high in vitamin D too. So you can do the, you know, squeeze your oranges. Um, you can get that. And lots of your vegetables such as ubu, all our greens out there. We have so many, you know, that you can actually get that from. But if you, do all of this and your um, calcium and vitamin, because you can actually check your vitamin D level. So that's something you can talk to your family physician or your primary care physician that you want your vitamin D level checked. And so if they check that and it's low, they can either give, they will definitely give you supplements in terms of their tablets. And then like we talked earlier, the early morning sun it's very good. It's high in vitamin D. So you can make sure you get that early morning sun and um, that would also help. And then um, I think the other question was what supplements should you start taking after the age of 50? Yes. <sighs> you know, we talked earlier that so many supplements that we have out there, studies have shown that they really are like taking sugar pills. That means they really do not have the kind of effect that they actually market that they do have. You have the ones that will tell you, they give you the clear skin. You have, you know, the ones that will tell you 
um, they take away the wrinkles. There's just so many out there. But my advice is that for women, what you may need to take because you may, you know, just make sure you eat healthy, have those lots of vegetables and the fruits that we talked about to, you know, that are high in all these vitamins because it's better to even get them fresh. But if you're not getting enough of that, you can supplement with a daily multivitamin. And um, my to-go daily multivitamin is usually called Centrum because when you look at all the ingredients in Centrum daily multivitamin, they're pretty high in all the ingredients, the, all the vitamins, the zinc. And so once you take that one tablet, that should be enough. Unless there's a clinical indication that your vitamin D3 is lower than normal, then your physician will have to give you um, D3 supplement. Or if they notice that you have osteoporosis diagnosed, then at that point they can add the calcium supplement. But just to make it easier for women 50 and over, um, the multivitamin one tablet, Centrum, and there's so many brands out there. Just look at the ingredients in it. You can just take one a day. And then that one a day, make sure you eat your healthy foods, eat healthy, less carbohydrates once you get to the age of 50. Your carbohydrates should be the smallest portion of your meal. And then more of the vegetables. It could be the grains, the tomatoes, but more vegetables. And then fish replaces, you know, should be your protein. You know, the mainstay of your protein should be fish, any kind of fish. It could be from the scubia fish to the catfish to the tilapia, but fish should be your mainstay of protein. And then um, drink a lot of water, at least eight glasses of water a day. So that way you stay hydrated, your skin stays um, hydrated. And then make sure you use your moisturizer and the sunscreen is really key. Ah, <laughs> okay, please, so we need to, and all those yeah. that we like mm -hmm. so much and more yeah, green. Right now, the weather is cool. We don't have so much sun out there, but once that sun hits, a lot of women can, you have to wear sunscreen, any form of sunscreen lotion that you can get. Wear it because it keeps your skin looking healthier as we all age. Okay, thank you very much for that. Uh, let's move quickly now. So, Dr. Adedije, I hope you're still with us. Are you there? Dr. Adedije? Okay, so I'm going to come back to you, Dr. Okoba, until Dr. Adedije comes back. So this person is asking, does removing fibroids before getting married prevent one from getting pregnant? That's the first question. And then it's two in one. After removal, does the fibroid grow back? So if you take the fibroid out before getting married, does that prevent one from getting... It's such a common question. A lot of people ask that. Does it prevent one from getting pregnant? And after you've taken out fibroids, do they grow back afterwards? Okay. And so um, talking about fibroids, removing fibroids before you get uh, pregnant. Um, no, sorry, before you get married. Does that prevent you from getting pregnant? And that's, the answer is no, because um, the fibroid, it's a benign tumor growth in the lining of the womb, like Dr. Modupe showed us earlier. And so that growth, a lot of times can cause pain to the woman, and a lot of times may grow so much that it will result to, you know, infertility, so true miscarriages because it's occupying so much uh, space in the uterus for the baby to grow. But there are 
uh, cases where the baby can actually grow with the fibroid. And um, the fibroid too is being uh, fed through the same blood vessels in the uterus. So, but if you remove the fibroid because it's causing you symptoms that you want the fibroid removed, which we call myomectomy, at that point, it's just taking just that growth from the lining of the fibroid, that should not prevent you from getting pregnant, especially when all the other factors are looked into, making sure that the fallopian tube, I think this would have been a best question for Dr. Mutupe to answer, showing that, you know, if the ovaries are doing well, they release the eggs, the eggs can travel through, you know, the, uh, they get fertilized by the sperm, you know, the fallopian tube is patent, the, the fertilized egg gets to the uterus and it grows. So when you take out the um, fibroid, that should not cause you any infertility. So that was for question number one. And then the second question was, if you take out the fibroid, can the fibroid grow again? And like we said, the fibroid grows out of the lining, I mean, out of the muscles of the uterus. So it can grow from another spot. So the answer to that question is yes. Okay, thank you Did so I answer much. the question? Yes, I hope so, because I haven't seen okay. the person ask it. So um, I, I understand that the DG is trying to get back in. So if she comes back, we can still put that to her as well. But um, another one okay. I have here is on breast. So it's asking what causes breast cysts and can it develop into something else? Do they have, are the cysts are forming the breast or lumps? I thought cysts were vaginal. So maybe you can answer that. What causes the yeah, cysts? Yeah, um, basically... Yeah, basically, what's, what's a cyst? A cyst is a sac that's filled with fluid, okay? And the fluid can be clear, it can be, it, it can be cloudy, it can be bloody. So that's basically the definition of a cyst, it, you know, uh, but most times they are filled with clear uh, fluid. And yes, um, we can have breast cysts in the breast. And when that develops, it's usually advisable. This is usually um, diagnosed by the physician because when you go see your doctor, first the woman will probably feel a lump in the breast. And we say, do your self-breast exam. And if you feel anything that you normally do not feel, because if you examine your um, breast by yourself every day or almost every day, if something comes, you already know the normal architecture of your breast. So if something comes up abnormal, you'll feel it first. And so if you feel it, it's something that's abnormal that feels like a lump, then you go to your doctor. So how does the doctor diagnose this? If you're less than 40, they would order what we call the breast ultrasound, okay? And so it's the breast ultrasound scan that would now define what the lump is. If it's a cyst, if it's a fibroadenoma, there's so many other um, classification of breast masses. So since we're um, just... Uh, um, honoring on the breast cyst. So they diagnose the breast cyst. And then um, you also want to um, find out if this is, because we all know that a lot of times that uh, we can have what we call the fibrocystic breast disease. So if it's a fibrocystic breast disease and it's not causing the patient any pain, if some of them can become tender, that means they're painful to touch and then they can increase in size depending on the circle of the woman as she's coming on her circle because of the hormonal changes that can cause, um, that can cause um, increase in size and increase um, pain. But when the, it, it's a subscribed cyst that they think that this is not just a generalized fibrocystic breast, 
then they need to take out just that one seed or first. But before they do that, we do what we call the fine needle aspiration, where the surgeon, the breast surgeon, actually after the breast um, ultrasound has defined that cyst, they now take a needle, a fine needle, and aspirate it and send it to the lab for histology. By aspirate, so you mean they drill some of the fluid? Yes, and yes, then... and send it to the lab for histology just to make sure that it's nothing cancerous. And then at that point, if it becomes um, necessary for them to uh, remove her okay. and also send it for histology. All right, I know we've been talking about breasts, we've been talking about ovarian, uh, vagina, XYZ. X, now we're going to look at what happens after you've had the baby. So we're going into back pain because there are a number of questions related to that either back pain because you've had a number of epidurals and your back is not the same again, or childbirth, after all those painful contractions, your back is just suddenly fine. I, I sit down, it's pain me. I lie down, the same thing. Or it could be from sitting up breastfeeding, maybe not sitting the right way, or just general back pain from having to back your child. So some women find that when they finish having their children, their back is not the back they knew. So someone is asking what you can do in terms of supplements. Is there anything you can take <laughs> for back okay. pain? Yeah, that's a really great question wow. because, you know, now you talked about back pain. I, I noticed that I had to not sit up properly because it's, it's a fault with every, a lot of us. We don't see that posture is really great in managing back pain because when we sit, a lot of times we hunch over. And then, you know, the muscles in the back around the lumbosacral spine kind of contract. So we will start off with, yes, some women after the epidural experience back pain, and some women after um, delivery experience back pain, some women from having their children on their back experience back pain. Um, but in having that back pain, after you have tried conservative measures, like making sure posture is good or taking anti-inflammatory medications such as maybe uh, paracetamol or ibuprofen of inflammation in the back, and that doesn't resolve, you know, you need to actually seek um, the, uh, the medical advice, have a physician take a look at, at you, examine you. But most back pain are usually musculoskeletal pain. So it's not for women, you know, it's not caused by anything like cancer. So a lot of time when we say musculoskeletal pain, that means the muscles around the spine kind of spasm and tense up or there's inflammation in the joints of the whole, you know, the, the joints where you have like the lumbar spine where they're joining together, the sacral spine and that, that, can get inflamed and that's where the use of the anti-inflammatory pain medicines such as the paracetamol, the ibuprofen will come into use. So now with a muscular pain, and uh, the muscular pain that can cause a spasm to actually cause the back pain, there are things you can also do such as using the heat therapy. Some people use the hot water bottle and they get a lot of relief. And some people use ice, so you can actually use ice packs and put on it and you get a lot of relief. These are just conservative measures in managing that. And then um, if 
you do that, that doesn't work. You can also do the physical therapy. Exercise is great. Even if you're having the back pain, we say continue to exercise. If it's paining you, take paracetamol, take pain medicine, continue the exercise. You know, as long as there's no fracture. Like I said earlier, it's usually musculoskeletal pain because of the spasms of the muscles around the back and the inflammation in the joints of the um, lumbar spine. So if all of those conservative measures don't work, then you can have your physician start off with a lumbar sacral x-ray, um, you know, to look at the um, joints to make sure rule out things like the arthritis in the joints or rule out um, what we call the, the, you know, the nerve being changed on mm. and then causing the pain radiating down to the legs. You know, women experience it differently and tingling in their legs. So um, the x-ray may not show the nerve pathology. So if they don't see, because the x-ray is actually looking at the bones. So if they don't see any arthritis and the woman continues to have the pain, at this point, they send her for an MRI. So the MRI is a more advanced uh, radiological investigation that can actually look at the nerves and see if we have a pinched nerve that the uh, spine is pinching on and causing all that pain. And... Um, when all of this is still ongoing, then the doctors can now move on from those simple pain medicines we talked about to stronger pain medicines. But you know, those stronger pain medicines, patients can become addicted to them. Yeah. And then, so we try to avoid those strong pain medicines. But the use of muscle relaxants become very important too, because when you give the muscle relaxants, it kind of helps relax the muscles from going into spasm and um, eases the pain away. So back pain, okay. Um, I, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> and then if that doesn't work, they can have surgical intervention, and so it goes on and on. But back pain is a very common symptom and um, that we experience even in primary care. Okay, so Dr. Lenergy, I'm going to come to you. you we, we know you had a network challenge. Now that you're back, where well, I have two questions in one for you. The first one is, what supplements can someone experiencing ovarian cysts take if they do not want to take birth control pills if they are not sexually active? So this person is not, the question is around, the person is not sexually active, experiencing ovarian cysts, and they don't want to do birth control pills. So keep that one one corner. The second corner is if you have a cyst in the breast that is painful, what can you take for but you've already diagnosed it there, you are still thinking about what you want to do. So pain from ovarian cysts, pain from cysts in the breast, what do we do that is non-surgically invasive? Thank you. Yes. Ah, I Thank sound you like a doctor. That's nice. <laughs> I know I think I'm fixing it to any profession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, ovarian cysts, uh, is I, it's funny when you say I have ovarian cysts because the truth of the matter is that we have physiological cysts. Anytime we use the word physiological, that is normal. That means um, for all the females in the house, they have had at one point in time an ovarian cyst. So you may have gone for a scan and the doctor says that you have an ovarian cyst, but you should not worry. We have certain diameters and certain other signs and symptoms 
that we expect with a worrisome ovarian cyst, you know. So most of the time, the ovarian cysts we pick up are just the normal, most especially in a woman who is still, well, in the reproductive age group, so to say. Yeah, because there are some other characteristics that comes with the cyst that will make us worry. So you're not actually supposed to be on birth control pills by yourself. If a gynecologist has um, prescribed a birth control pills for you, there's uh, a, there's a particular objective he's trying to achieve. So you're not supposed to stay on um, birth control pills without being monitored by a gynecologist. And there is no supplements to control ovarian cysts. There are normal ovarian cysts and there are abnormal ovarian cysts. So those diagnosis will come from us and we'll let you know what you're exactly supposed to do about it. I've, okay. I think I've taken two questions. Yes, I think you've taken the two questions in one. That's what I think. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Non-surgical pyramid. That yes, that is it. That is it. So um I don't know whether you have last words. Um Rosemary, I don't know what, how we're doing time wise, um, whether we should be wrapping up at this uh, at this point so that the doctors sorry. can give us their sorry last for jumping. I think I saw one of the questions that somebody was yeah. asking about fibroid uh, being having a pretty Having had go through a surgery for fibroid and reducing our fertility. Oh, you were not here when we. I think maybe your network, but please, you can you can address that, please. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, fibroid and infertility are actually two different um pathologies actually, but it's common. Both are common in reproductive age group. Uh, most times we talk about fibroid and infertility, causing infertility, when we have actually looked out for every other cause of the infertility and everything seems okay, but we just have a fibroid somewhere because we think at times the fibroid may be the reason for the delay. So to say, and we, may want to want, we may want to operate it and see maybe to improve the chances of getting pregnant. And more so if we are also thinking of any other means of achieving pregnancy, like assisted reproductive techniques, we may want to help to improve the success by removing the fibroid. I think the question was about, a, about somebody that is worried out there that I have never been pregnant and I have a fibroid that they said I should remove it. Yes, it's, I would not want to say no, that it may reduce chances of getting pregnant. If I say no to that, I may not have satisfied you. But the point is that the only reason why we remove a fibroid is the fibroid is becoming problematic. It can be problematic as a result of excessive bleeding, it can be problematic as a result of excessive, painful, excessive pain at menstruation. That's a dysmenorrhea, painful menses that you just have to come to the hospital for relief of pain and all of that. And at times, we also remove it because of the size when it's so big. So those are the clear reasons why we remove the fibroid. And this, if there's this problem, I cannot say I will keep looking at you because I don't want to reduce your fertility, then I will not remove the fibroid. So the technique at surgery is what is most important when those fibroids are removed so that we can preserve the fertility. I hope okay. my medical grandmothers are not too Between the ages of um, 11 and 15 who have painful periods. Um, yeah. The experience you have from some mothers, oh, it's painful. That is how it is. You are now becoming a woman. Endure. We all take paracetamol. At what point do you seek medical attention if you notice that ah, you know, the period pain is interfering with everyday life? Yes, it is an interference to, to some degree, 
But you know, there are some, even when we're in secondary school, some girls don't come to school, or there's so much drama around the period. At what stage should we say, I need to take you to see a gynae as a teenager, at, young teenager? At the point where you know that you have to see a gynae, that is when it is a problem. But if you can cope with the pain, coping with the pain meaning that you have not used anything and you can still cope with the pain. Actually, we have, we have primary dysmenorrhea. Dysmenorrhea is pain at menses and secondary dysmenorrhea. So the primary dysmenorrhea are supposed to be experienced as some cramps just below the tummy that you feel during your menses. It starts up when the menses starts and stops right about when the menses is about finishing. So when you think you have to come to the hospital, it may still be normal, but it may be so painful. We have you come to the hospital and we have to look out for any other reason why you have that kind of pain. And if we can't find any other reason, then we can give you or give you some medications to use for you to be able to cope with it. You know? So it's not supposed to be excessively painful. It's something that one can bear as in cope with. I would like I don't want to use the word cope. But it should be at the point when you sure. think happen, you can yes, you have to come to the hospital, then that means that the doctor, the gynecologist has to do something about it. Okay. Yes. So let me ask uh, both doctors to give us their, their final words. Um, you know, uh, as women in this time, well, different women of different ages have different challenges, you know. So for Dr. Okoba, I'll start with you. From a women's health and family health perspective, what would be your final word to our participants? And our participants, by the way, cut across different age groups from 20 to uh, our over 50s in the, in the group. Sorry, um, Dr. Kuba, sorry, just before you come on, uh, I think there's a question we missed out from Ekpen Young on okay. menopause. I don't know if you can find that question so they can have it answered. Okay. If you can see it, you can read it. Let me also check. I'm just scrolling. I know there was one from her. I've just been informed. Okay, is this, is this this one on how does one prevent premenopausal abdominal fat? Okay, <laughs> let us start with <laughs> premenopausal abdominal fat. Hmm. How do you prevent that? While I look for um, um, a question's question. Mm -hmm. This is for you. That's your area. <laughs> yeah, before you answer that question, because mine is also on menopause. Uh, okay. Perimenopause. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mine is also Which is, um, there are some symptoms that I know you haven't mentioned that are part of perimenopause, like abdominal pain. Okay. Is that part of, um, um, what's it called, perimenopause? No. Okay, okay, because I have that question in my on my phone. Then also, um, discharge, heavy discharge, is that part of it? Okay, I've seen the question we're talking about. How does one manage menopause symptoms? Tips. I think that yeah. is the one. Yes. Yeah. I tried to quickly run through when I was presenting. I tried to quickly run through the um, symptoms of menopause and the perimenopausal period when menopause is here and all that. So I will categorically say that there's no abdominal pain with menopause and there's no abdominal fat specific for menopause. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like that. Basically, it is an hormonal problem. 
it's not a problem. It's a normal thing that we're all going through. So it doesn't come with any form of discomfort at all. You just glide into it. And because of the uh, depletion of the estrogen, like that was what I was trying to explain, and how it affects the uterus itself and every other uh, part of the body. That's, those are the symptoms I highlighted. I said that from the uterus itself, you find out that uh, a, a sexual intercourse is not as enjoyable as before because you are not uh, having a lot of um, uh, fluid being excreted from the glands to help with a satisfying um, sex. And that's what we call dyspareunia and that. I talked about hot flushes. I talked about uh, the, the vaginal discharge. That's vaginitis which also occurs because uh, the estrogen too has a way of helping and uh, to reduce the risk of infection at that time. So because of the gliding and uh, the difficulty at um, sexual intercourse, there could be some bruises at the urethra, in the vagina itself, so which could expose the place for infection. But I want to emphasize here that if there's any discharge that one is having after menopause, that is a lot, opioids, it is important that it should be investigated because this is actually the age that we talk about malignancies, cancers, cervical cancer, which is a cancer that can readily be taken care of when it's picked up on time and all of that. Then even the endometrial cancer, that's the lining of the womb, will always give you a sign of bleeding, discharge. So you get to the hospital, necessary screening is done and then intervention is given on time. So there's no abdominal fat that comes with menopause. There's no abdominal pain that comes with menopause. It's just the distribution of fat. And what you can do about this is basically lifestyle modification, diet. I'm happy that I met Dr. today. Diet and exercise. Okay. I have another question here. <clears throat> I'm talking about um, getting pregnant now. This is not menopause anymore. So if you have someone who is over 40, so 49, for instance, and the person has not been able to have a child yet, what are the options for getting pregnant? That's a, I know it's a broad question, but um, it's coming to you, Dr. Lideji, before we go back to Dr. Kuba. So what, yeah. are her, what are the options for someone who is 49 already and um, no child at the moment? I always make these jokes with my patients that there is no more barrenness in the land. <laughs> That's how I say it. I think we got the news. I, I'm sure you were, I think you're the one that took that news on channels. Yeah. A 69-year-old woman hmm, that yes. had a, a baby at 69. She was 69, the husband was 70. Yes. So we are very happy to have assisted reproductive technology with us. It started um, some in the 90s and then now in the, in, now we have so many centers that are offering it, assisted reproductive technique. That means that it involves in vitro fertilization and every other modalities that comes with it. But it is always good that it's done when you are very assessed, well assessed and fit enough to carry those kind of pregnancies. So it is, it is possible that you can get pregnant at the age of 49. So now, if you need more information on that, Dr. Lady, please continue, but you can contact um, our host, Rosemary, because she will put you in touch with um, those who are, who are better suited for that, isn't it? Dr. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, you are through. Okay. Yes, um, I am. Dr. Koba, what medical issues? <laughs> this person is thinking ahead. What medical issues should you expect from age 60? 
Is uh, is sixty really the new forty? And what has so what will list a uh hair? -huh. They said this one is coming. Let me write it down. So the <laughs> 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 one very good issues um uh, pop up. Well, I would say once you start, um, once you hit the age 21, you should start looking at things, making sure you're seeing your doctor to rule, you know, make sure you don't have high blood pressure, you don't have diabetes, you don't have um, high cholesterol, um, colon cancer. Um, after the age of 50, we pay particular attention to um, screening, right? preventive checks to make sure, because as you get older, the body starts to change in many ways and then cancer can develop. Remember we talked earlier about screening for colon cancer. So you want to make sure you do that screen every 10 years to rule out colon cancer. We also know as women, we have a, if you still have all your reproductive parts, um, like uh, Dr. Modupe talked earlier about, you have the ovaries, you want to, you know, there's no screening test for um, ovarian cancer right now that you would say, you know, it's what we do to screen for ovarian cancer. But um, you also um, have to pay attention to your body and look out for those signs. Um, Dr. Modupe already mentioned, once you've had menopause and after menopause, you start to have vaginal bleeding. That is a red flag. You have to go ahead and see your doctor. And then at that point, if, you know, they'll do the whole check and do the endometrial biopsy to rule out endometrial cancer, cervical cancer and all of that so because we still have if you haven't had the total hysterectomy where they take out the ovaries the uterus the fallopian tube the cervix then you still have your reproductive parts female reproductive parts you have to pay close attention to your body making sure that you know there's no more bleeding once you have had cessation of menstruation for 12 months which is the definition she gave us earlier for menopause and if that happens at age 60, that is the red flag. And then you also make sure you're checking your breasts, the self-breast examinations like we talked about, getting your mammograms every year from age 60 at least to age 75. We talked about that. We also talked about um, osteoporosis. So you actually get screened for that, making sure that you're taking those supplements if there's need for you to take that to prevent those fractures. And then, um, Checking your blood pressure regularly, and if it's high, you make sure you take medicines to reduce it. Check your blood sugar, at least, you know, if you're not diabetic, then if you're diabetic, you have to go see your doctor more regularly. Take your medicines, the lifestyle modification we have been hampering on, the low carbohydrate diet, uh, more vegetables and fruits and water and fish for your protein, um, exercise, living a very healthy healthy lifestyle, balancing that mental health too. Because when you exercise, you also help your mental health, emotional well-being and physical well-being. Making sure you're staying on top of all that when you hit age 60. And then also spiritual well-being, it's really key to the whole well-being. So whatever your faith is, being Christian, being Muslim, whatever the faith is, you know, uh, make sure you're in tune with your creator. And, um, you know, just be at peace with yourself, you know, live a very fulfilling life, make sure you impact other people's lives. It's not all about who you are now, but the other person you've been able to touch their life and make their life more meaningful and, you know, 
at that point, you, your life becomes even more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And then that way you even thrive more and um, you'll be a happier person. So that okay. would be my the, advice. The, the, for the only women. thing I would like to also share before I hand over to Rosemary, who will decide whether they give us the last words, is that you should have me time. So I found that I was becoming very grouchy and snappy. What is it? Leave me alone. Why are you calling me again? You know, and it was as if I was being pulled in different directions. Husband wants something. Children want something. In love comes with their own drama. Then work is demanding something different of you. So what I decided to do was I have a particular day in the month. Three hours belong to me. If I choose to go to the spa, I go. If I choose to do something cheaper, like only me, I can carry my mat and go to the beach. Just me. And I just go and empty my brain. I can take myself to the movies. I can look for just where to go and just take each other's hour or two or three. And I, I actually schedule it in my diary. I will not accept any meetings on that day at that particular time. I found that I was becoming more healthy mentally because you find that you are so, you're such a pillar of your home or pillar of your family, even if you're not married and you're you know, just a, a female person in the house. Everybody's looking to you for emotional support or financial support or spiritual support. You are the superwoman who is taking care of you. So I would, my own counsel to anybody out there who has not yet received the spirit in quotes, you need to have three hours in a whole month. It's not too much to ask that you take away for yourself and just remember who you are all over again. It, it helps. It does wonders for your mental health. I don't know whether I have a witness in any of the doctors that are here, but yeah, if you've not started, yeah, I, think, I, see, I, see, I think three hours is even too short. I think exactly. 24 hours. <laughs> One day in a month. Yeah. <laughs> what I can do a day yeah. in three months. It's exactly. Okay. And yeah. I got it jealously. My children know. I'm so I'm almost like on a it's like a military sergeant. I'm going. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, where are you going? I said, Mommy is taking herself out. This is not even oh carry husband along. No, you have the time where you two of you want to do whatever you want. But you need to be able to declutter and just have some mental space to even think of the next two years or the next five-year plan. If not, you find out that you are on a treadmill, you're constantly moving. Meanwhile, there's no movement. You're not going anywhere. So that's just my own um, mentorship counsel to women yeah. out there. Rosemary, yeah, thank you so much. You know, you know what? I'm in total support of you, Ijoma, but I would even say that you do that me time one hour every day. Wow. That's not asking for too much. <laughs> you know, saying three hours in a month, that's too little. It's yeah. one hour every day. And then you, yeah. you know, you, and in that one hour, you can use it for your meditation. You can use What's it to that? exercise. That yeah. should be your me time. One hour out of 24 hours, it's not asking for too much. And, you know, you have to find that time and yeah. do it. I know it's hard because you're young, you have young children, you have the husband and all the things that come around it. But yeah. one thing I tried to do raising my children was I saw a question that came up that uh, what could I have done better? I think um, if I look back, because that question wasn't raised, but let me answer it for um, the person that um, actually asked it. Is if I look back, the one thing I could have maybe done differently would be spend more time with the children. But because of the pressure of work that we have, you're trying to balance it, you know, and of course, I did spend time, but there were times I missed out on school events 
and stuff like that that were so dear to them that I couldn't be there because of work. But, you know, that time goes by so quickly. So now when you get to my age at 53, you look back and wonder, where did all that time go? So mm -hmm. you have to now know how to manage this time and know that the family health would come first and being there all the time as at least 95% of the time for the children, the husband, you know, it's really key in being able to balance the work and the family. So, and then in doing all of this, create at least one hour out of 24 hours every day for your me time. Your me time doesn't mean you have to go to the movies. No, your <laughs> no. me time would be that you be by yourself and distress, declutter and help that mental health. It could be while you're exercising, listening to gospel music, you know, anything. But that is your me time, one hour every day, not three hours in a month. <laughs> that three hours in a month can come in, but you know, that's when you go out and see a movie. But yeah. every day, find at least 30 minutes to an hour for yourself. Yeah. Okay? And it's not at least. minutes you go and boil meat in the kitchen or put something. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just do something that only you, only you enjoy yes. doing. It is yes, reading a book or meditating or your yoga. Yeah. It took me a while to understand that children can be incredibly selfish. You have to yeah. always say to them, no, mommy is resting for this one hour. You go and do something else. That's the one hour they want to come and ask you to do something. There is no badge or medal for working yourself to exhaustion. I watch my mom do it, and this is a personal story. She tried to do everything, and you know, her health eventually failed. All of us are now grown up in our own professions and careers, doing our own thing. And she says to us, my mom is um, 67 now, and she says to, to us, if there was anything she would have done differently, she would have delegated more. You, you don't have to do every single thing in the home. Relax. Wash the plates when you are ready to wash the plates. Your house, nobody is going to bring a whip and say, why is this place not worth? But we always have this, oh, I need to do this and I need to do that. You want to do 20 things. No vitamin, no supplement can take the place of rest. Not, yes. There's nothing you're going to find in the shop. If you like, yes. pop 20. Once you are not mm -hmm. resting, it's just going to be counterproductive. Let me just quickly add um, that okay. what I found that works for me is um, I wake up a bit early. So I might wake up by four and have between four and five, have my me time where I pray, I meditate, I try and reflect and sometimes look at goals and aspirations. So that early morning time, there's just something about the beauty of the early morning where the air, the peacefulness of it, or it's like you have a smoother connection, if I can use that word, with your creator. And then um, often I go for very early morning walks. Okay, I'm, I'm privileged to be in an environment where I can do that. But if you can't do that, you can do that in the evening or um, even at work. You can take okay. what I used she's to do. Doctor Dedeji, you wanted okay. to say something. Okay. Well, back. Back. Okay. Okay. okay, can you hear me now? Yes, yeah, yeah. So just very quickly, um, what also helps at work, apart from home, is when you're at work and you're stressed out, maybe you have so much, your boss is on your neck or whatever, take five minutes. If your restroom is clean, just go. 
Yes, I used to do that a lot when I was um, in paid employment. I would just take five minutes just to, it, the restroom was very clean, so that was a plus, unless somebody comes in and tries to use it and then it distracts the whole flow. But just that five minutes alone, it calms you down and then you're able to refresh and go back, you know, and continue from where, where you stop. But that early morning works for me. So I, I totally agree with Dr. Okoba and um, Ijoma. But yeah. you wanted to say something. Yeah, like... so I'm, I'm trying to take it away now that it's so <laughs> obvious that uh, all as women, there's something pushing us, there's something pulling us and all of that. So that's why it's very important that you just pick a day in the year. And I, the best time of, of that year is your birthday. The gift that you can give yourself is to go for your medical screening. That's <laughs> the gift that you can give, to, give yourself. The simple medical screenings are available so that ailments can be picked on time. Just checking your blood pressure and knowing that huh, this blood pressure is going to a range that is suspicious, you don't have to be told that you have to step it down. You yeah. don't know, you don't have to be told. So just your birthday, take yourself because most people think the hospital is just for when you are sick. Come to the hospital, get directions on the medical screenings that you should do for your person. And then you know that the next time you are checking again is your next birthday. Fantastic. So we've heard the last word from Dr. Dediji. Give yourself a good medical screening. Ah, Dr. Okoba, we are jealous of this. Your shape and size at 53. It is well. I hope our participants seem to be um to be happy and satisfied. They said our session was well worth the time. And uh, thank God for that. Rosemary. Thank you all so much. I would like to sincerely, sincerely appreciate Dr. Okoba, Dr. Modupe, my dear friend, Ijoma. Thank you all so, so much. I called you guys at short notice and, you know, you were quick to say, oh, no problem. We'll be there to share our story with other women. So we are grateful on behalf of the um, tribe team. We say thank you all so, so much. So at this point, we would like to appreciate those that have supported this um, um, webinar. We would like to start by, um, of course, thanking, the screen is coming up just so I don't miss any name. Please bear with us. Okay, so are we good to go? Can I have the screen on, please? Okay, so our supporters would like to thank um, women in Abuja. Please visit their Instagram handle. They do a lot of support work for women all over Nigeria, although they are named women in Abuja. So we say thumb up to women in Abuja. would like to say thank you to um, Dr. Mrs. Okoba, Oh, sorry, I would like to go first to Noxie, Noxie Limited. They specialize in um, medical gear from your face masks, your gloves, to your um, COVID-19 test kits. Also, they take, um, they do um, a lot of um, production, all manufactured here and some imported as well. But they have very high grade of products for the oil and gas as well. Thank you, Noxi, Ngozi Oyewale for always being there for us. Thank you. Uh, we'll move on to, um, who's next? Please, next slide. Uh, indulge retail stores. My, another sister <laughs> would like to say thank you. Please visit their Instagram handle. They deal in children's clothes. Uh, would like to say thank you to, who's next? 
Okay, thank you to First Delta American Hospital, Dr. Okoba owns that hospital and it's based in Delta State. So if you're in Delta State and you need or you have relatives in Delta State looking for a very good and reliable um, hospital to go to with experts, please visit Dr. Okoba's hospital, First Delta American Hospital in Asaba, Delta State. Thank you, Dr. Okoba. We'll move on to um, Fab Mom Angie on Instagram. Uh, she was quick to support us, so we say thumbs up. Thank you very much. Please visit her Instagram handle. And um, next, we'll call on Dr. Modukbe's Hospital. Dr. Modukbe's Hospital is J.A. Lashman Hospital. Before you continue, um, our participants would like the contacts of the doctors. So this is for Dr. Modupe, and then you can um, always send us for Dr. Koba as well. Yes. Okay, okay. So, you know, um, would um, type out the... Okay, they can go ahead and type out whatever numbers that um, they want the participants to reach them on. So that's fine. If they can type that out on the chat, um, that would be fine. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so but, Dr. Um, you can type out your number for our participants. And Dr. Koba too, please. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, um, J.A. Lashman Hospital is in Lagos. So, please reach out to them. That's Dr. Mudupe's um, hospital. So, you can reach out to her as well. And first, American Delta Hospital is for Dr. Okoba in Asaba. Uh, next, we'll move on to... Mrs. Ijama Onyato. Thank you so, so much. Love you loads. Um, Dr. Isama Okoba, my dear sweet sister, thank you so much. God bless you for all the support you've given us right from the start. We we'll also say thank you to Dr. Mudupe. I can't thank you enough. Um, I, her birthday was yesterday, so shout out to Oh, Dr. happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> so thank you all so, so much. Our next webinar will be next, um, next month, um, August. I will send out notices. Thank you for your time. And please give us a, a thumbs up if you've enjoyed um, today's session to keep encouraging us to do the work that we do. If you would like um, for your name to appear, um, on our screen in appreciation for supporting what we're doing, please contact um, Thrive Women, uh, thrivewomen.org, or just send a WhatsApp from the, um, the WhatsApp message you got to support whatever we do or to place your advert, your business advert on um, our webinar. So thank you all so much. The screen can be minimized now. Thank you all so, so much. If you have any other questions, uh, you can forward to either Dr. Okoba or Dr. Mutupe. I guess they've left their contact details. Otherwise, we would, we would send it to you. If you haven't received it, we'll get the information from them and send it to you. Thank you, Stella, for the thumbs up. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Thank you. So, um, We've come to the end of um, today's... Uh, thank you, Dr. Muzukwe. <laughs> uh, thank you, Oge. Thank you, uh, Monica. Thank you. Hello, Monica. Good to have you. Thank you, Kelechi. Thank you all so much. <laughs> so we've come to the end. Um, thank you all. And um, we pray the pandemic ends soon. And Amen. of course, life can never be the same, <laughs> but we hope we grow from it um, as a result of this pandemic happening to each and every one of us. So please take care, do the needful, and God bless you all. Thank you.
Thank you. God bless you. Bye. 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 Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.